3: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It's
0: In This League with Scott
1: Bogman and Chris Welsh. 30, I'm on
4: right now. I don't believe you. Boys in line. I'm your host, Chris Welsh. You can find me on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh. That's the same as the Instagram. If you want to go there, boy, those are not like remotely close. But there's a lot of different information out there. But you can follow me there if you would like. That's your thing. And of course, over to InThisLeague.com. Why would you come to InThisLeague.com? Because that is where my February update is going to go. Top 500 prospects, dynasty list, first-year player ranks, even the P180Ps, they all sit there and they're going to be updated Monday. Thank you very much. We've also got updates on here on Friday for the redraft ranks. I update them every single month and in season. The prospect stuff is the most fun as I continue to work on some more stuff in there. We've also got prospect one group me room, which is phenomenal. You guys can hang out in there. That's also where I will be filling the next round of the prospect one ADPs, the P one ADPs. P's. If you want to take part in that, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. I could sell you on a million different reasons. Go and check it out for yourself if that's your thing or you want to just support what i do in thisleak.com. that's how you can support prospect one and i would be very appreciative if you did so if not hello and welcome to the episode today ironically enough back on the old episode friday edition throwing you out here because i just had to push things you know you can kind of hear it in me a little bit i'm a little bit nasally for whatever reason just kind of snuck up on me actually tuesday when i was going to put the episode together i just was sounding like this and it was I was a little congested and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And then just, it kind of kept dragging. So I'm feeling a little bit better. But if you hear that in my voice, apologies, Uh, that's just where I'm at. But I wanted to make sure I get an episode out today. And today it's just me. So bear with it. Probably won't be as long as normal, but, but there is a little bit of an industry flavor because what I'm doing today are the hardest prospects to rank. And I actually got the uh, idea from the, in this league pod, which we did the hardest players to rank. We had a really fun episode and it kind of sparked me in here and it's just kind of ruminating around and I've got five of the hardest prospects I think in my mind there is to rank and evaluate and fully understand. Okay, so those are my five. But the other thing that I did and hat tip to all these guys and gals that I just sent out a, a DM a group message to a bunch of the prospect people that I respect and I asked them this question, what hitter, what pitcher, if you have both. Do you find the hardest to rank in value? And I think everybody I put on the chain answered for the most part, um, which is really impressive. And I really appreciate it. A couple gave me write-ups, a couple gave me names, which I said was fine, whatever you wanted. I just wanted some names to go through. So I'm going to list off who many of the industry guys that responded back to me uh, said are the hardest guys to rank in value. And I will tell you, there's some really interesting ones. There's some ones that are no surprise. Like I... I could have read a couple of mile away, not from the person necessarily. Let let me look here. I don't know if I would have pegged anybody here for any of these players. Probably not now that I'm looking at it. Definitely would have pegged the player, maybe one from a recent conversation. I, I had one of Jesse Roach's pegged from, but we did a pod like, you know, within the last month. So that's why, but I did not have all of these guys pegged and some of the names pleasantly in my mind, I got to see. Because I agree with a few of these that I was like, yes, because there's a couple, one in particular, I keep staring at that feels like it's very consensus, but like I struggle a little bit and sometimes I feel like an island on an island about that. And that's kind of what this was about. It was like, hey, you know, I asked the guys, give me a player that like you're higher than everybody that you think, or maybe that you're lower and everybody else likes or whatever the reason is and there's some cool names on here. So I'm gonna give you those names and I'm gonna give you the five guys that I think are the most difficult. And I actually don't think, if I were to, okay. All right, so everybody for one second, close your eyes and imagine who you think I have on this list. You're probably wrong. Maybe you'll get one. If you get two, hat tip to you. If you get three, then you're a prognosticator because I just don't think you're gonna have these guys. Some I haven't really talked about, some I have. I definitely think there's a possibility of two if you're really in tune to like listening to everything I say and stuff like that, but I just don't know if you'd get any of them. Uh, maybe the top guy will be on there, but that's what we're going to talk about today, and I thought that would be a fun one, and a little preview here for one second. I have got a very interesting tidbit I'm going to give you on a certain player that I was just around, so tune in for that in one second, but this episode today is brought to you by Fantrax. Go to fantracks.com slash in this league, whether you're going to start a new league, whether you're renewing a league or you want to move one of your leagues over, go to that special URL, which hooks ITL up and prospect one, which I'd appreciate and get set today with the most robust dynasty platform in all the land. It is full customization across the board. They've got all the options you could possibly imagine. Their app has improved year over year. And it's the number one place for Dynasty, but you can also do a redraft. When you use that special URL, you will also be entered in. And I don't know this for a fact. I should ask, but I think every league you do this, like, so if you were to renew multiple leagues, this might apply. But I know when you use the link, you will be automatically entered in a contest to win an autographed Vladimir Guerrero jersey. Yeah, that's awesome. An autographed Vladimir Guerrero junior jersey. I don't know if I said junior the first time. One of my favorite players. I actually had one of those one time in a giveaway we did on uh, Break This League, and I deeply regret (laughs) that it ever left my house. But maybe you can be the one that picks it up. Go to Fantrax. Go and check them out today. It's the place that wants to curate to you. Fantrax.com slash in this league. Do it up because they've got the best way for you guys to access your prospects. They've got great minor league systems that you can use. And I've told you guys before, this is how I do the P180Ps. I can I can manipulate the player pool with fan tracks to only be prospects. And that's cool. That's pretty hard to do. Pretty much no one else can do it. So go and check them out. Now, first off, hopefully my voice is going to hold up. So apologies to anybody that's dealing with that. Funny enough, on Monday, everything was great because someone you hear me talk about is Dennis Sidler over at Grass.
3: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
5: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh,
1: Every time.
2: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You want to punch me right now, but you won't. Why don't you punch me in the
0: face? Punch me in the face! Hey, Derek, you know what's always good for shoulder pain? What?
4: If you lick my... In this lead. I have a great relationship with Dennis. He's a friend. Uh, He does, he's a great company. He has our sponsorship deal we do with the podcast. And something cool that happens is when he comes into town, which Dennis was, he does his autograph signings and he did, he had Jackson Merrill, he had Tyler Sodestrom, and really it's always an open invitation. I just can't do them all the time. He offers for me to come in and hang out. And I did this round on Monday, again, when I was normal, when I had a voice and everything was fine, with Kyle Manzardo. And uh, it's funny because incredibly nice guy. His agent was there. Everything was great. He's a big dude. Uh, actually, for a minute, it's funny because Dennis and I were like sitting and he kind of walked by and we didn't recognize a uh, very young, like younger than I thought, I, I suppose. But um, first off, I tell you, obviously, if you're interested in anything with Kyle Manzardo, Dennis has got it hooked up. And I am living proof. I watched every single item he signed uh, happen in person. Lots of cool stuff. Helmets and baseballs and bats and stuff. And I got to sit in there and throughout the experience of it, you know, I wasn't conducting any type of interview or anything, but talking with Kyle Manzardo was really cool. He's a really smart kid, very in tune, very talkative as well. took good pride in his autograph as he was doing it. And we talked through a lot of things. And there are some things I'm actually not going to mention here because there's the possibility I'm not saying it's going to happen. You know, anyone can tell you something and then yeah, after the fact, it never happens. But by the sounds of it, I think I might have uh, an interview, a potential, at least if uh, if it all works out and follows through, I might be able to have Kyle on and have an interview with him here soon. And there's some stuff that I want to talk about, but the one nugget I am going to mention to you. And I did like when he said it, I was like, oh, can I say it? And they didn't say no, but I'm going to give you some of the prefaces. So it's not like some ridiculous thing. So after the whole signings done again, talked about the Cougars. We talked about spring training. uh, We just talked about him in general and got to learn some more about Manzardo and uh, you know, the players and stuff like that. And some cool nuggets. Like I said, that if I get to talk with him, I will bring up here soon, but this is what I'm going to give you. So at the end, we were chatting a little bit and I did get to, I didn't, wasn't like, hey, Chris Wills, prospect one, blah, blah, blah. That kind of happened towards the end. And we were just talking about a few things in general. And um, I was, I had brought up prospect lists and I had, you know, previously said like, you know, oh, how does it feel? Blah, blah, blah. To, you know, be at the top of lists and very nonchalant. I don't think that was something that like affected him, but there's a lot more attention. And I don't think as he had even stated to me, like he didn't recognize the uptick in attention. But we were talking about it at the end where I was like, yeah, I do ranks and it's, you know, it's a little bit different. I have him as my top first baseman. And we were talking about the generalization of like first baseman. I said it can be tough because, you know, a lot of traditional ranks will take a first baseman and they'll go, well, there's no projectability. He's not going to go anywhere else. So this is a first base only type of player. So this kind of hampers his ability. And through that, uh, Kyle ends up saying, he says, oh, well, funny enough. He goes, the Rays actually asked me to pick up a third base glove. And I went, oh, and then I immediately was like, can I mention that? And they kind of laughed. And and I think he, he he wanted to backtrack a tiny bit in that doesn't want to make it this huge deal that we don't want to go out there and report like Kyle Manzardo will be a third baseman. Because what he said to me is he goes, if I'm being honest, he's like, I would doubt if it really materializes but I wanted to mention it here because first, I think it's an incredible nugget, but also to speak to the athleticism. Uh, it was funny because his agent had brought up that when I believe it was when he was originally drafted, it was also talked about him playing second base. And I have a picture with Kyle that I didn't. I don't think I tweeted it out, but I put it in our group me rooms that uh, if you've ever been around me or heard me talk or blah blow, blah, blah, uh, I'm six foot four. I'm essentially I'm like six foot three and like, three, you know, six eighths or something like that. So I just say six foot four because, you know, let's get taller. And he's right up there with me and obviously in incredible shape, you know, good shape because he's a, he's a baseball player and I'm a podcaster, very different. And the, the, so, you know, his agent says like they had talked about him playing second base and and Kyle kind of joked that he's like, "Mm, that wouldn't have been a great idea, but he said he was excited at the thought of picking it up and the Rays asking him to do it says a lot. Here's why I think if you don't already understand why this is important, whether it materializes or not, because I don't again, this was hanging out in this setting. Uh, They said it to me. I mentioned I was a podcaster. They didn't say, no, please keep this under wraps or anything like that. And this would be if I can talk with him. I'd love to talk about this so he can he can say it. But what I think is so great and intriguing about this is we talk a lot about comments Zardo in the ability to hit. We talk about the swing. We talk about, you know, the strikeouts. We talk the lack of the walk. We talk about all those things. But then what we say inversely is, well, he's a first baseman. We don't do that with Curtis Mead or any of these other players. But this is the first instance that we've got that the Rays are raying him. You know what I mean? Like that they are trying to push this, that maybe he, maybe at the end of the day, he is just a first baseman and that's his work. That's his thing but that they are comfortable and they want to work through in spring training and for him to pick up the glove, not just to screw around and do third speaks multiple things. They just re-signed Yandy Diaz. They've got Jonathan Aranda. They got that type of stuff. A, it says we want to make sure we have the flexibility, which is the Rays doing Ray things, but also B, if they like that, this is a higher proximity for him to push forward. And uh, I think this is cool to share because this is another step However, it actually materializes, we will see. But in two weeks, when he reports to Florida and he is in uh, working in all the camps, he is picking up a third base glove. And in some capacities, the Rays are going to work him there. And that might materialize to in season. And if you start seeing, I I just want you guys to envision, envision Kyle Manzardo, the guy that you like or dislike or indifferent about as a fantasy prospect. Imagine that guy now is a third baseman. I think that's going to change how some of you view Manzardo as a prospect overall, that flexibility, you know, I mean, it made Torkelson all but more interesting. And I think that's how they're viewing it. And uh, that's my news to share is that Cal Manzardo, at least by the Rays, is asked to pick up a third base glove and he was glowing about it. He was more than happy to take that venture on. And I think he can do it. I think he can do it and we'll see it in spring. But That is something that the team uh, has talked to him about. And hopefully, like I said, they were willing to do it. And hopefully, maybe in the near future, I will have Cal Manzardo on. We can kind of talk about that as well. And he can be like, "Ah, I don't, it's not going to really, you know, and he was kind of like that. He's like, I don't know if that's really going to happen, if it's going to get to end games or anything like that. But you guys should know when you talk and think about Cal Manzardo as the first base only prospect that the Rays are already putting him in the classic Rays prospect pool a flexibility, and that's a very good thing. That's a very, very good thing. I had a blast with it. He was very talkative. Uh, I've been in a couple sessions. Sometimes guys aren't as talkative. He definitely was. Very good personality, smart guy, and some cool stuff I'd love to share with you guys in the future. But you can go to sidsgrafts.com if you want to check out some stuff. I've also got a few things for my break this league events uh, when I break cards and do giveaways and raffles. I've got a few comments ardo things that might go out there as well that you guys would dig. Like. This incredible, I'm staring at it right now, it is a Bowman first purple and Dennis got it signed in purple. Looks awesome. And it's very cool, so you can check that out, but got to spend some time with Kyle Manzardo and uh, just, you know, physically seeing the person and hearing them talk and talk about baseball really does give you a different perspective of like what you're dealing with. That's also driven some of my aggressiveness with Corbin Carroll. I mean, his numbers stand pat, but you know, the player that I've talked to and, listen to talk about baseball and, and and seen what they've done with other players at his age. Like I just feel confident sometimes in how I want to move forward with players. And I kind of got a feel with that with comments, And there would definitely be things I want to talk about in person, more baseball related, because I'm not going to, you know, turn an awesome thing like that into a whole interview with me. But uh, I did get to hang out. So they I did think you guys would think that was interesting. And I think I uh, all but got the blessing to mention that little nugget that I think, uh you know, might potentially affect some, might, might not might be like, okay, whatever, you know, teams ask players to do stuff. I remember Francisco Mejia was practicing and playing around at third base and that stuff happens all the time and it doesn't materialize. Remember Andrew Vaughn, you know, in spring training, Andrew Vaughn was working out and doing second base drills and it didn't actually materialize. But what it does do is it might sometimes tell you about how the team views a player and the trajectory of what they might want them to do. And, also like how athletic is said player and I think that could come in that may have been a question with Cal Manzardo in the past you know and how much more athletic is third base and first base you can you can have that conversation but it definitely seems like something that is at least going to get a little trial and error and hopefully it happens and then hopefully I'm one I don't know I don't know if maybe this has been out there um, but hopefully I'll be one of the first to report it and that'll be cool okay let's get into the episode
2: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: You can't believe what fell. All your dreams.
4: Yes. Pop, stand, drain. Let's play some in this league. Tom Manzardo for me is not, you know, he would have actually been one of these guys. I did a lot of off-season work and watching a lot more video and then now talking with him. I feel more confident, but Manzardo definitely was one of those people three or four months ago that would have made this list. Probably would have been the number one. How do you value? How do you rank? And sometimes a rank is about your own evaluation of a player. And sometimes it's about the world around you everybody else likes this guy. Why don't I, everybody hates this guy. Why do I like him? George Flair? Well, except you know what I found out? I found out Keith law is with me. Keith law did his uh, rank update and had him in like the thirties or something, but you get what I'm saying? Like there's multiple avenues of what this can be. And there's plenty, you know, there's always people out there that are like, I know everything and I scout everything and I don't care what other people say. Cool. That's fine. Then that wouldn't be how a player would be tough to rank for you. But there's a lot of different ways And, uh, you know, talking with the industry guys too, I could tell there's different ways everybody approaches it as well. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the hardest players to rank going into the 2023 season for me and for some of your favorite people that you uh, listen to and read. Say,
1: I like you. I like you so much, I'm going to make you my partner.
0: All you have to do is find the gold and I'll share it with you
4: 50-50. Prospect One. How is the voice holding up? It doesn't, I don't know. In my head, it doesn't sound so good. I don't know how it's going to sound on here. I don't know what it is. The same thing happened last week too, where it was the end of the week. It just started going down. A really bad thing when 95% of your world is speaking. It's not good. So hopefully I'm not sounding nasally and maybe I'm sounding a little bit deeper and hope it's listenable. Um, That's all I care about. So I'm telling you guys that again. I hear the difference. Hopefully you guys are cool with it. Let's talk about players. So there's a lot of guys that are, are difficult. And one caveat I put on this, by the way, was and this is i I've done this like in episodes past where I said, the one thing I don't want is don't do the, I want this guy off the list. I always think it's funny. It's a fun conversation because like every year there's guys I want off the list. James has like guys he wants off the list. Eric, same thing. And we'll have those conversations. We'll be like, get this guy off the list. I actually remember, um, speaking of, Francisco Mejia was that guy like years ago. It's just like, get him off the list. I don't want to rank him anymore because it's so difficult. Past performance to current maturation, it's tough. And the amount of players we've also seen, it's something I always keep in the back of my mind, the amount of players we've seen be great, then hit a roadblock and get to the majors, hit another roadblock and turn it around, exponential. But the same thing we've seen with guys that dominate through the minors, get to the majors, Kelnick and struggle. So it's not one for one, but it's just like, I, I don't like to write off players immediately, but sometimes I'm I'm left holding the bag. But I think the inverse happens. People write them off and then all of a sudden they're back and everyone, we're backtracking. Hey, we're back in, we're back in. Uh, Ruiz is kind of a prime example of it. But at the end of the day, we all struggle. We all struggle with players that, with, and you guys, you know, everybody in the industry is ranking this guy, but you're like, I just don't see it. I don't know how, I don't like this guy as much. So this isn't much different than what you know you guys deal with so i sent this message out i'm going to give kudos to every single person that wrote back and some have some write-ups for us so the very first person and shout out to him i think want to say that jesse roach whenever i put something out is one of the first people that always responds so hat tip to him whether it's like p180ps or whatever it is he was the very first person to respond and he was one of the people i could have guessed one of them and it's just because of our episode the hitter that he said he had the most difficult time ranking was Brennan Davis. And that's probably not a shock to anybody. He cited the back injuries, poor performance contact issues, but the tools. And that is literally the like, what is it? TLDL too long. Didn't listen or TLDR of Brennan Davis. He is so tooled out when he's on, he's on it's kind of Byron Buxton ish. If you will, like when I saw him back in the AFL for his two weeks, you know, he came a week late because of I actually think it was because he was on the taxi squad for the Cubs. And then he came two weeks and he injured his back and he was gone that, you know, when he started turning on balls, he would shorten his swing a little bit, murder them. Big physical guy can run like when he's playing. He's one of the best players out there. The problem is he's not playing a lot. And that is very Byron Buxton ish back injury seems to be consistent. I'm hoping the offseason has helped. Uh, he, there was actually video just the other day. The Cubs are running a camp right now out here, and he was hitting. I'm hoping the two and a half months maybe helped. I don't know if it did. If I mean, you really need some good rest to get off this back injury. But he's also had some really poor swings. And I'm not just saying like the physical swing, but like performance swings. And there have been some contact issues, like he said, but then the tools. So I'm with Jesse. I also find Brennan Davis to be a very difficult player. Um, you know, and, and actually, I'll give you another player. One I find incredibly hard to rank in redraft in at the majors is Tyler O'Neill. Where Tyler O'Neal had this like one really great year that's sandwiched between bad performances and there's some injuries and stuff in there. I struggle with him and I kind of struggle with Brennan Davis as well. I'm a little bit more. I think I'm a little bit more confident in how I'm ranking him, but I understand it and I agree with it. Now, the pitcher he chose actually came up three times. He's the only player to come up more than once. Everybody, and I will acknowledge because I did this as a thread, it's a possibility that people didn't want to put the same names, but this player, it was acknowledged that, um, you know, like multiple people wanted to say like, yes, I'm in on this. It's D.L. Hall. I will say D.L. Hall is near the top of the list of get off the prospect list for me. I don't want to rank you anymore. And Jesse picked D.L. Hall said present command is so poor that the relief risk is sky high. But there's a chance, as he says, he could be the next Blake Snell. Uh, Eric Cross also said D.L. Hall and Chris Blessing gave an honorable mention as saying D.L. Hall is also one of the pitchers that he struck, was his pitcher with an honorable mention of Wilmer Flores. So the only player to get multiple votes was D.L. Hall. And I think it's probably all the same reasons. I don't think anyone wants to rank him anymore. No one wants to deal with it. He's got big stuff, but he's had injuries and command issues. And I agree. It screams relief. It really does. And it's tough because it was like back-to-back him and Grayson. It doesn't look like that's going to go that way. If anything, you'd love it for them to figure it out really quick and just move him as a reliever. You know, gas. Get a gas 100-mile-an-hour reliever at the back of the bullpen if that's what he's going to be. But I don't know. They're still stretching him out. I think he's tough for all of us. He's also... When you start dealing with like proximity versus future, that makes it a little bit more difficult. So I agree. He's difficult. He, I don't like him being on there anymore. Jesse picked him, Eric Cross picked him and uh, Chris Blessing picked him. So see ya DL Hall. Very difficult. Moving down the list. uh, Our boy, James Anderson did not give me a pitcher. He refused. (laughs) He just said no pitcher, which he's not struggling with, which is good. But he did surprise me with the player that he picked. And this was one of those. I was like, oh, okay. And. I agree. I agree. This is another one of those guys. That's tough. It's tough in that I was never with everybody else. And I think that's why it makes it tougher for other people. But I kind of still struggle where I'm at compared to where we were before. And that player is Joey Weimer, who Joey Weimer went two levels, um, 21 homers, 31 stolen bases, nuts, pretty good average. Strikeout numbers were abysmal in double A. He really improved it in triple A, but I think it's all of those things combined. Where is he? Kind of fixed some of that hitch that was in the swing a little bit, but James designated him as one of the, is his most difficult uh, player of all of them. You know, asked who is it? Joey Weimer was his most difficult to rank. Shelly Verstrate actually gave me the one that I was really happy to see because I am not with everybody else. Not that I don't like the player, I do, but everybody else has got him in like the top 15 and I don't. And her choice for hitter was Curtis Mead. And that's the first time I had seen Curtis Mead. She said he can flat out hit, but will have to move off of third base even before the Yandy extension. Lau is still on the team friendly deal and Manzardo should be a first base soon. Oh, that's interesting, Shelley. You know what I mean? Uh, knowing the raise, they will trade low and just keep churning, but still a hard rank in my opinion. And I agree. I completely agree. I think he is tough because he does have a lot of great, you know, underlining batted ball data. The results are there. I just get a vibe that he's a better real life player than he is going to be a fantasy player. I don't know if the counting stats are good. You know who, you know the vibe I get? Jeff McNeil. I get a Jeff McNeil-ish vibe with Curtis Mead. I might be wrong at the end of the day because, you know, let's take a look here. Mead across two levels, had 13 homers, seven stolen bases, a really good batting average, Never over a twenty percent K percentage and a double digit percent walk, a double digit walk percentage makes a lot of contact. Makes good contact. You know he scores runs. I think he's a prototypical number two hitter. But I just don't know if he's a amazing fantasy option where he's going to unload power left and right. You know he hit fifteen homers in two thousand twenty one. He had thirteen homers this past year. It was only in seventy six games. So you could you could you know live off of and, and dream on twenty five plus stolen, uh, homers on him and stuff like that but I just get a vibe. He's like a 15 to under 20 Homer high batting average, number two hitter, which is great. It's a really good fantasy option, but I just don't know if he's an elite fantasy option. So getting him inside the top 20, I struggle with. So I actually felt really good that Shelly put him on there. Cause I've never heard anybody have any apprehension. Like I have, uh, the other one she picked was Daniel Espino for her pitcher saying injuries suck y'all. That's what she said. And she says, I hope he comes back this year to make me look foolish, but with, what will Cleveland really push the innings with him? So that's kind of like an overall arching, you know, synopsis about where she's at with him. But in general, she's saying like the injuries versus the talent. This is kind of back to Brendan Davis. They battle each other. You know, we looked at how we looked at that picture that he posted. We're like, oh, man, he's really popping. But the injuries are really difficult to deal with with a high velocity pitcher. We've seen this before. It's Very Alex Reyes ish, which, by the way, I still sit back and I'm like, how is Alex Reyes who got released at 27 years old or whatever? Still doesn't even have a non-roster invite anywhere. Or I haven't seen one. It's baffling to me. Understandably, uh, Eric Cross put George Valera. I think George Valera is a very, he's built for this. Very common name to be built for this. Uh, And he had Deal Hall. So Valera, you know, it's pretty easy. The strikeout numbers, the lack of elite contact have been there. But he still puts up, you know, big homer numbers. And the stolen bases are in question. This is probably a big year for him. Though I did hear in the offseason, I think he had another Hammett injury, which... I hate that because he had a Hammett bone injury in Complex when I talked to him. That was the one time I'm not in the interview that you guys heard, but I had like a 30 minute conversation with him in Complex where he had suffered that Hammett injury. And to have it again is not great. So I even question it. I just love George Valera. And I think he's going to put up a big fantasy season sometime in the future. But he's very volatile. He's very volatile
2: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
5: In
4: this league, is cooking. Going over to Chris Blessing here, you can probably hear my voices going a little bit. He said Christian Encarnacion Strand. There you go. Because he chases nearly 40% of the time, uh, has whiff issues and struggles to look usable in the field, yet tears the cover off the ball. The profile has a low margin for error in the big leagues. So that was his breakdown. Great breakdown, by the way. Big strikeout issues, low margin for error, yet he puts up big numbers. And he's done it, done it. My question with him has always been like, eh, He's done it at lower levels, you could argue of competition, and the low margin of error I don't love, and that's actually kind of like George Valera, something I maybe need to pay attention to a little bit more. There are lots of players out there, low margin of error, and is this player enough to break through that? What's interesting about Encarnacion Strand is the really big hard hit numbers, which is a tool we would probably measure, can they battle through their biggest hurdles and that is something that would get you through it but i agree i i don't think i'm as high as everybody else on incarnations trend i should actually ask blessing i'm curious where he is on him uh and he had said dl hall our boy chris clegg said uh, i think he only gave a hitter uh, that doesn't seem right i thought he gave another one no i guess he did he only gave a hitter he said uh Rafaela, boston's Raphaela. he says incredible in the field Good instincts on the base paths with speed, but chases so many breaking balls and EVs are not great. Skyrocket. He went on a rocket up and I think people have leveled off. So Clegg acknowledges that that might be a little bit more difficult. Also a lot of Boston guys in the prospect game, which, you know, there's probably a lot of conversation between him and cross that makes it interesting. So I agree. I think Rafael, uh I don't struggle over him, but I think it's in a, again, I might be a little bit lower than everybody else. So I just don't struggle. Um, Down on the farm, which is Vinny. Vinny said Carson Williams with the Tampa Bay Rays and Owen Murphy with Atlanta. Owen Murphy just drafted. His write-ups were with Williams. How far does the power and speed carry him with crazy high K numbers, which is very, very true. He is lower in my most recent ranks because his counting stats are good, but yuck. And with Murphy, he says, what does his upside actually look like? SP4, SP5. I think we got to see more before I get into that, but I can understand the struggle. I think First year player draft guys are in general, I don't sweat over them because we have to just take a stance until we get really full season ball and then we can make more concerted like uh, thought processes on it. Um, our uh, Michael Richards, Michael Richards, I think, uh, I have two more actually, I have Michael Richards and then Chris Crawford, and then I'm going to throw you this extra nugget that came in at the end. Michael Richards said Esturi Ruiz was the hitter. Projected amongst elite leaders in stolen bases with regular playing time in Oakland, he said, but his prospect ranking doesn't add up with how he's valued in redraft. I agree. Something you'll notice uh, when you're looking at like ranks list is sometimes the dynasty versus the prospects don't add up, even with mine, because my dynasty are more based off of like a, maybe a three-year window and proximity can push close guys above. So Astrid Ruiz is someone that is higher in dynasty than his prospect ranks. Because I just don't know what the long-term floor is for his tour. I think it's pretty low. But if he becomes the guy I saw in 2017 when he was with the uh, Padres and Royals, I mean, that guy looked like Alfonso Soriano. That guy was hitting doubles at the wall. He was flying around bases. Like, I see it. It's just his pitch recognition has never been fantastic, and he really clicked in this past year. And now we're going to see it on full display for uh, the major leagues. Uh, His pitcher, kind of in the same vein, I think, is uh, Max Mayer. We said injury factor, bad organization, good park, one of the top arms in AAA before the injury, how to weigh all the variables. He also, I didn't even know this. He also said DL Hall came to mind. So DL Hall is just on everybody's, uh, no, no list on the prospect side. Max Meyer kind of agree with that one as well. He is tough. The end, like he was phenomenal. He was so good. I, you know, I recall when I interviewed Nolan Gorman, he singled out Max as the toughest pitcher he had faced. And he's one of those guys, but like, how is he going to come back from injury? And he did have an injury. Now, those are the most difficult is guys that really succeeded in the minors and then they get hurt. Chris Crawford, who uh, now new buddies with Chris Crawford from our panel we did over at uh, PitchCon. I asked Chris and he delightfully gave me an answer and he probably gave me the most robust answer of anybody. Gave me like a good uh, paragraph write up on these. His number one hitter was Matt Mervis. He had a difficult time ranking said, Pretty clear what the strengths are and the results are undeniably impressive. Because of first base, the bat is going to have to max out. But if he does, he's a moto hitter. If he's not, he's just kind of an organizational fodder. And how is the bat speed going to play? I don't disagree. You know, there was stuff I obviously loved about Mervis and there's some stuff I didn't love. You know, he, he got caught up multiple times and watching. I don't know if he's a consistent batting average guy. And I kind of do wonder if he's going to be an average hitter that is going to tap into some power. And what does that get you? You know, who is he? Is he CJ Crone at peak? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's not It's not a bad question. And his pitcher was Gordon Grisefo, Said pretty clear what the floor is because of the command, but how much upside can he take the next step? Not a ton of history of being this good. So these are great players, great questions. And then the last one that came in, I actually forgot about this and I didn't put it on the sheet was uh, Jesse Roach said he's going to add another. would you look at this? Kyle Manzardo, he said. The Rays are going to Ray. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's so funny. I said the Rays are going to Ray, as Shelly noted. And they rarely run anyone out every day. Manzardo had some platoon concerns versus lefties. Still 800 uh, plus OPS, though. And shaky power projection. He's only played 30 games above A ball and still needs to establish himself against upper minors arms. Super small sample size, but he only hit 216 with a 295 OBP over his last 15 games at double A. So that was Jesse's kind of approach with cal Manzardo. You know, the one thing I also believe after chatting and kind of going through the whole process with Manzardo is I think a lot of people were assuming Manzardo's gonna be up really soon. I just don't think so. To that point, not a lot of work outside of high A. He's also gonna work on a new position theoretically. I just don't know how much the team wants to move him. They re-signed Yandi, they've got a Ronda up there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's something that's going to be pushed a whole bunch, but these would have been probably similar things I would have asked myself on, on Manzardo in general. I feel a lot more confident after being around him, talking with him, watching the video I did preseason with the swing and the approach that he's going to be able to solve these things. So like, I don't worry about 216 and double A. you know, that's aggressive to where he was, but that doesn't mean it's not a good reason to not be questionable about how to rank him. You know, I mean, fantasy list, he is so high on fantasy lists compared to real baseball lists. So he is very, very in our face right now that I get why the difficulty exists out there, especially, like I said before, traditional ranks versus fantasy ranks. The first base only profile always has people concerns, but maybe the third base will change it. If it happens, we'll see. So final up here, I'm going to give you my five guys that I think are the most difficult to rank in the minor leagues number one is probably the the best you could guess remember we did this earlier it's like how many can you guess you know who knows maybe there's someone that could really you know maybe I'm more transparent than I think I am like ooh, I'm so mysterious and I'm really not but like I don't think I've spent tons of time on these players and uh, I don't it's also probably reason why I struggle with some of them but number one maybe the most transparent is Connor Norby I struggle with the rank of Connor Norby there also is such an uptick i'm gonna give you an inverse remember a couple of years ago with the lexington whatever they were for the royals and like everybody that went there with the royals struggled remember that it was like nick prado um brewer hicklin uh mj melendez they were hitting like a buck 80 and they had just come off these great seasons before and we're all like what the hell happened and then after that they kind of came back to it, it was just this one thing well, you get those versions that happen with hitters and, and, and on the positive side. You know, it used to be like, you know, the Colorado Rockies at low A and you could look at Cal League stuff in general, you know, it's like hitter from PCL, hitter friendly environments. There's also just something that has gone on at the upper levels and it might just be incredible talent of the amount of Orioles that have dominated. Um, you know, a lot of attention goes to Connor Norby. I actually think we don't give enough attention to Jordan Westberg who, you know, Jordan Westberg, when he came out, it was Jordan Westberg over Justin Foscue for a lot of people. Like, everybody loved Jordan Westberg. I like Jordan Westberg. Uh, I really like Justin Foscue. But like Jordan Westberg, I think it's overlooked in the same respect where we're talking about Norby. Westberg, between AA and AAA, had 27 homers, 12 stolen bases. His batting average is a little bit lower, but he had over 100 RBI this past year. Connor Norby went over the 30 mark on, or uh, no, 29 homers. And had a grip of stolen bases in there. And he had high batting average numbers with what I've cited is very Mervis-like in the strikeout rate that has lowered at every level. But he just, he wasn't a guy that was on my big radar. In 2021, it was only 26 games, but, you know, three homers, five stolen bases, 283, strikeout numbers a little bit higher. I never projected Norby as someone that was going to be over 2020, maybe 25-10 max. And that's a really good player, by the way but I was never in that camp of falling in love with the swing or the approach or anything like that. And then he has this monster year, but getting back to what I was saying before, I don't know if there's something with it and I don't want to dismiss, obviously, these are just really talented players, but man, there was high production that's happened at the upper level. Like everybody succeeded, like Colt, everybody, but Kobe Mayo, pretty much, you know, Col- uh, Colton Kauser and Jordan Westberg and Connor Norby, but all the attention went to Connor Norby. That's what stood out to me. Every bit of the attention, Colton Kowser doesn't get, I don't think, an iota of the attention that Norby does. And also, Westberg isn't even in the same room as him. So where does the struggle really come in? It's the crazy wild swings of evaluation. I mean, he's shown up on top 20 list. I have done drafts where I've got him post 60. I did a CBS draft where I got him as like the 68th prospect overall. Another interesting thing was think about the prospect value. Uh, I want to give a shout out to this because I'm going to cite something from it, but Chris Clegg did uh, essentially what I do with prospects with dynasty on his dynasty dugout. Go you know, check out his Twitter account. You can check it out for an ADP for dynasty prospects, which is super valuable. And Norby was like, I don't want to give all this stuff away because you got to sign up, but Norby like I think was like outside the two eighties or 300 somewhere in there. That's not where a top 20 prospect is valued across the board. Now, again, that's different. It's lots of people drafting and stuff. But I don't, I feel like there's a wild range of outcomes where I know some people in the industry that are indifferent about Norby. I know some people that love him. There are things to like statistically what he did, but I think I get clouded in being like, all right, the probability of six Orioles prospects becoming the best players in baseball doesn't seem likely. So who are the guys that I want to make bets on? Gunnar Henderson is a great bet. Between Norby and Westberg, if I think about value, I kind of want to go Westberg side and I really like Colton Kowser. So I can't like all of them. So I think I just go in a circle around, you know, this, do I really believe Norby went from a 24% K rate down to 11% K rate that he's now flipped and he's become elite? Do I believe those homers and stolen bases are going to completely translate over? Maybe they will. I have him pretty high. I like him, but I struggle. I struggle with pushing him into this elite area because I don't maybe know if I have enough confirmation that I believe what he did in 2021 or 2022 completely translates over, but maybe I'll be wrong, but I still have him high, but I sometimes don't know where the hell I want to put him. You know what I mean? So he's like the biggest struggle for me. Sometimes like what it is, it's like, it's about the confidence level of your own rank. You know what I mean? Like your confidence level in your own evaluation. I would not sit on here. And if there are people out there that do, I, I think scouts that every single day, sit and watch players or, you know, just Baseball America guys, like that's a little bit different. But if anyone could tell you they feel 100% confident about every single player, I'd be kind of shocked because I think, you know, there's only so much time and so much headspace you can give over time on certain players. You have to reestablish yourself. Norby is one that I don't feel confident in that I am dead set where I know where he's going to go, where I do with some other players. So that's why he is, you know, he's tough. Number two on the list, maybe you would see, I bet you wouldn't, Marco Luciano. And I'm surprised no one else said him. So Marco Luciano has not hit double A. He struggled with injuries last year. He's already been in the Arizona Fall League. I like him. I thought he was elite in 2019 in complex. Hit 10 homers, stole eight bases, hit over 300. Had some of the best power in the same year that CJ Abrams and Corbin Carroll were there. Yet, both of those players are now veterans well, not veterans, but they're both in the major leagues. C.J. Abrams is a starting shortstop for the Nationals, and Corbin Carroll is the starting out, a starting outfielder for the Diamondbacks.
3: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: as well said you were coming what else did he say
0: he said you were the best in the parsec scott bogman former imperial sharpshooter that's not saying much i wasn't a stormtrooper wise ass please excuse his lack of decorum in this league this is the way stop touching things
4: that's not where a top prospect is valued across the board now again that's different it's lots of people drafting and stuff but I don't I feel like there's a wild range of outcomes where I know some people in the industry that are indifferent about Norby I know some people that love him there are things to like statistically what he did but I think I get clouded in being like all right the probability of six Orioles prospects becoming the best players in baseball doesn't seem likely so who are the guys I want to make bets on Gunnar Henderson is a great bet between Norby and Westberg, if I think about value, I kind of want to go Westberg side, and I really like Colton Kowser. so I can't like all of them. So I think I just go in a circle around, you know, this. do I really believe Norby went from a 24% K rate down to 11% K rate that he's now flipped and he's become elite? Do I believe those homers and stolen bases are going to completely translate over? Maybe they will. I have him pretty high. I like him, but I struggle. I struggle with pushing him into this elite area because I don't maybe know if I have enough confirmation that I believe what he did in 2021 or 2022 completely translates over, but maybe I'll be wrong, but I still have him high, but I sometimes don't know where the hell I want to put him. You know what I mean? So he's like the biggest struggle for me. Sometimes like what it is, it's like, it's about the confidence level of your own rank. You know what I mean? Like your confidence level in your own evaluation. I would not sit on here. And if there are people out there that do, I, I think scouts that every single day, sit and watch players or, you know, baseball America guys like that's a little bit different. But if anyone could tell you they feel 100% confident about every single player, I'd be kind of shocked because I think, you know, there's only so much time and so much headspace you can give over time on certain players. You have to reestablish yourself. Norby is one that I don't feel confident in that I am dead set where I know where he's going to go, where I do with some other players. So that's why he is, you know, he's tough. Number two on the list, maybe you would see, I bet you wouldn't, Marco Luciano. And I am surprised no one else said him. So Marco Luciano has not hit double A. He struggled with injuries last year. He's already been in the Arizona Fall League. I like him. I thought he was elite in 2019 in complex. Hit 10 homers, stole eight bases, hit over 300. Had some of the best power in the same year that CJ Abrams and Corbin Carroll were there. Yet, both of those players are now veterans well, not veterans but they're both in the major leagues cj abrams is the starting shortstop for the nationals and corbin carroll is the starting out starting outfielder for the diamondbacks reese's peanut butter cups
0: are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did
1: it you stumped this charming devil